You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Hey, lexiconosaurs and word chefs, it's your uh, head chef, A.F. Grappin. I'm here with the Archmage himself, Ed Greenwood, uh, who has written like every book ever. <laughs> But he is here to tell us about a huge, huge shared world project, the Ed Greenwood Group. So give us a little information about that, please, Mr. Ed. Sure. Oh, hi. Well, um, the Ed Greenwood Group is a different sort of publisher. Most publishers uh, publish what an author sends them. I'm, I'm talking now about a, a, a so-called literary or book publisher as opposed to a game publisher. Um the Ed Greenwood Group uh, publishes stuff in settings owned or, or promoted by the Ed Greenwood Group. So a world, a fantasy world. And and our first one, which um, launches right away, almost Halloween, this Halloween, and the other end of this month, is called Hellmaw. And the tagline for Hellmaw is, you are the food. So the premise of Hellmaw is that there are demons uh, on Earth, these are not the demons of of um, classical religious real world mythology, but they're sort of like those demons. They look sort of like them, but they can shape change into humans. So they've been hiding among us for thousands of years, or at least their misfits and criminals have. They've been kicked out of their homeworld, and they're on Earth. But about two, three years ago, our time, there's a war on the demons' homeworld between those who want to change the status quo and those who want to keep it. Those who want to change it lose, and they get kicked out of the demon's home world. They get shoved through gates into Earth, and then the gates are closed behind them. So there's suddenly lots of demons among us, and that's what Helmaw novels and short stories are about. Um, Helmaw novels will be one a month, starting at Halloween, but, but we'll actually squeeze two out before the end of this year and then one a month thereafter. Awesome. And you'll, you can buy them as physical novels or you can buy them as ebooks. And then there will be ebook anthologies starting in January. Platters of surprises, we're calling them. <laughs> it will have a, a Helma um, short story in each one and the first three chapters of a forthcoming Helma novel, serialized, and some other goodies. And then in August, upcoming, August 2016, our second setting which we're codenaming code Pony Island Adventures. It's not about ponies. It's <laughs> largely not about islands. There are lots of adventures. Um, th- think of this, the closest thing we get to Middle Earth or a regular swords and sorcery. Excellent. It, it's it's quasi-medieval, quasi-renaissance magic works, but there isn't too much of it. Um, they're swords. They're dragons. Uh, it's a vast, sprawling world, and there'll be lots of novels, and it will start one a month in August with, you know, short stories in the platters and novels, and Helmall will keep going. So we'll have two settings, and then before the end of the year, um, we'll have yet another setting, um, and another, and another. Um, we have well over a dozen settings. We have oh, almost a dozen years planned out as a catalog, 500 novels. Uh, there, If you like a setting and you fall in love with it, you will be able to taste it in all sorts of different ways. We've partnered with a, a magazine called Amazing Stories. They will also serialize the um, the first three chapters of forthcoming 
uh, Helma novels. Um, we will have a website, underlibrum.com, where you can come and see all the world settings. So for those of you who um, run role-playing games out there and you don't intend to ever, like, buy and read fiction, we will have RPG adventures for you, and you can drop by the site and read all the setting stuff and just use it for your own world. You can, you know, swipe the maps, print them out, um, set your own um, role-playing adventures, your campaign in any rule set you want to use in, in one of our settings. And if you do like it, there'll be constant fiction coming at you that you can, like, use for plots and ideas and stuff. And that's what makes the Ed Greenwood Group a little different than the traditional publisher a traditional publisher might take the latest book by, say, Stephen King or uh, George Martin and say, oh, good, we'll publish it. And that's great. I love that publishers do that. They've, I've, been, I've been making my living that way for a long time. But this is something slightly different. We're, we're a creative sensorium of members, equal creatives, artists, game designers, uh, media people, um, people who make costumes and and uh, you know, or, or you know real world clothing you can you, and people who make artifacts and prose uh, writers in in all sorts of different forms from poetry to novels and as equals we work out stuff that's going to be in a setting and we think about okay if you are a fan of this setting what would you want. We answer fan questions. We, we write novels to go with them. It's it's all that sort of stuff. And that's the Ed Greenwood group. And, of course, I can blather about it all day long. So <laughs> you better shut up. <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> but but that's the whole point of the Ed Greenwood group is it's not just the novels. This is a fully expansive. This is a huge, huge project. Mm-hmm. And yeah. – uh, uh, you know, for my listeners, don't want to go toot my own horn, but I am a member of the Sasorium, so I am going to be involved with this mess, everyone. So, yes, <laughs> so I'm, it. Oh, I'm I am stoked for it, uh, but I'm not involved in Hellmaw, so that's uh, so don't 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 go looking for me right away, guys. <laughs> and, and that's the other thing: none of these settings end. So, if you get moved to write something in Hellmaw, and if the fans demand it. And keep prodding you and say, come on, come on. Well, we're never going to make these settings go out of print. They're never going to end. Yes. And if somebody writes a trilogy, for instance, and they say, okay, I'm done. I've said what I wanted to say. And later on, they um, say, oh, wait a minute. I want to revisit that character. Or I have a new idea. That's fine. The setting's still open. You know, 10, 15 years from now, it's not going to be like a classical publisher where too many of them, uh, small presses tend to be an exception to this, but the big New York houses, your book comes out, there's a big splash or there isn't, you know, and then it's out of print in short order and you can't get it anymore. No, we're never going to let that happen. If you want to jump in uh, three years from now because somebody says, hey, you should try this. There's this cool setting. Um, it's called Lost Princesses of Mars. You should You should pick it up. It's like space opera. It's really cool. And you go... Oh, yeah, but where am I going to find all the early books? I'm coming to the party late, but don't worry. They're all going to be there. Okay, so what are you looking for in someone to participate or be involved in the Ed Greenwood group in any capacity? Well, um, first they should go to onderlibrum.com, and the, they will find a little thing there, and I'm just going to do it now so it, I can see that it looks like this. this the same thing looks like that I'm, that's coming out of my mouth actually looks at the same on your computer screen. Right. 
So um, right at the beginning, there's stuff that says information. And if you click the information tab, it says interested in joining. <laughs> so you click that tab. Because the answer is always yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then it opens up into um, a, a thing that tells you the process right there on the page. And it's basically there's a thing about my publishing philosophy on one side and there's a there's a thing telling you about our business model on the other side because that's the other thing that's different from traditional publishers. We don't pay advances. Nobody here gets advances, mm-hmm. but we do get percentages, um, quite a bit more than a traditional publisher would traditionally give you. But you read through it all and say, is this for me? And if the answer is yes, then in the middle, there's the thing where you click and there's a there's a way of getting um, filling out an, an electronic form to get a non-disclosure uh, agreement. Non-disclosure agreement basically is you agreeing not to tell the few secrets in the of each setting. And there are secrets that we call deep lore secrets or right. lore to embed, which are little details. For instance, just to give you one off the top of my head, if you're writing, um, say, a James Bond or equivalent thriller set in our real world, and a mm-hmm. character picks up a telephone. Every reader knows what a telephone is. You don't have to stop and say, dear reader, let me explain what a telephone is. Yeah. Um, but in a lot of our settings, because they're future science fiction or future horror or past horror or past quasi-medieval, quasi-renaissance fantasy, they the character might be using something that is different, so it needs explanation. Some of those things will be obvious everyday things, and some of them will be things we want to keep mysterious. And that's another heading that will typically be hidden. Mm-hmm. Things that are mysteries in the setting that individual authors will get to reveal in little bits and pieces during their books. Now, we all want to know how the story ends, but well, I'm sure those of you who have picked up Murder Mysteries, read the last page, discovered who did it, it ruins the mystery for you. Right. And we don't want to ruin stories for anybody, so we don't want to give that stuff away. So that's what's NDA. After you get NDA, um, You'll typically get a welcome letter from me saying, okay, I've looked over your stuff. I think you'd be a good setting for this, but uh, a fit for this setting, but please look at everything and pitch me a short story or a novel or whatever it is you want to do, and we'll talk. Now, the, the thing is, we have over 200 members now, so a lot of the early slots the next few years are gone because if we're doing just e-publishing, we could infinitely expand it until all of us here at the home office uh, of the Ed Greenwood Group went crazy. <laughs> okay, too late. Uh, but, anyway, <laughs> but I mean, once we're publishing physical books, we do have a finite capacity per month. Right. And and I suspect there are months coming up pretty soon when we'll have 14 and 15 and 16 products coming out in one month. Oh, my goodness. Now, we don't – because all the settings are running. Right. We don't want to get – too overloaded for one person's poor wallet. <laughs> Although, <Lord>. again, <laughs> you don't have to worry. This is not like uh, a Kickstarter where there are 500 copies, and if you don't get one of those 500, you're out of luck. You right. Find it on eBay sometime later when somebody wants to get rid of it. No, no, no. You will always be able to get your hand on a copy. We will have, for some things, like there are games within the novels and within the short stories played in the setting. Um, there, there's, for instance, a, a, a rune game that you'll find in one of the settings, and that that will be used by characters in the setting. Well, you will be able to buy a copy of the rune game, 
and we will we will see how many orders there are. There are always artisan handmade copies, and they will be fairly pricey because somebody's making them by hand for you. Right. But there will also be a, a much more reasonably priced mass-produced version that you can get later on. So you won't be cut out. It won't be. Um, I don't ever want somebody to feel that because they couldn't get to this convention or they don't live in this country. Mm-hmm. They can't shop at this particular chain of stores that they can't get something because it's an exclusive. Because that, what that means is you're telling somebody you don't matter or you don't matter as much as these special people over here. And we're here for fans. We want this to be the sort of world that if you fall in love with it, you can read stuff in the world. It'll be a, a setting, a home. So in the in the same way that people immerse themselves in the Star Wars sit, setting or the Star Trek setting or in Middle Earth for the Tolkien fans, you know, we will be here for you. Yes. Yeah, you're you're just talking to me right now. <laughs> I don't care about my fans at this point. This is this is all for me. <laughs> <laughs> But, but I mean, here's the thing. Um, many of our books are going to be shorter than, than the doorstop fantasy novels that we come to expect mm-hmm. from the major New York houses. And I don't want the major New York houses to stop doing those, you know. Yeah. But neither do I want to compete directly with them because if I wanted to reinvent the wheel alongside experts at selling you the wheel, I would be even more crazy than I am right now. <laughs> And it would be sort of pointless. You know, I would be adding one more thing and your wallet can't stretch to. What I want to do is something slightly different. And although it means that in some cases you will be seeing some offbeat formats and so on, because our creative people have a great idea for something and it doesn't fit the mold and we're going to do it. And that's where the people who make real world clothes and, and the artifact editions of games, that's where they come in. We can do something different. Yes. But at the same time, I remember novels, pulp paperbacks, and serialized pulp adventure stories in, in digest-sized magazines, fantasy and science fiction magazines, from my youth and from the generation before me, the copies were still hanging around. And they were shorter, and they were zippier, and they were fun. They were ripping yarns, and they came out all the time. That is what we want to do more of. Some of our settings, the novels, are fifty to 75,000 words long. Other settings are 80,000 words and up. But we don't want to go up to, you know, 300,000 words. No, we yeah. want to say, could you please split that into three novels for us? Yes. You know, because um, for one thing, that means that if your fans love the first book, then you've got a guaranteed audience for books two and three. Oh, and darn. they get more of their fix. It's all about, you know, somebody saying, oh, yeah, Shouldn't there be a new novel? What is it? I'll look at. Oh yeah, okay, that's what it is. Yeah, I'm gonna buy it. I if if money's tight or you're busy that month, don't worry, it's not gonna go away. It'll still be there for you. That is absolutely wonderful. Because yeah, I'm, I've been obviously as part of the Sasorium, been kind of tooling around the Andre Libram site and just looking at all these settings, thinking I am gonna be so poor for the next umpteen years <laughs> because yeah. I'm gonna buy every book that comes out. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. You don't have to buy them all at once. And unlike many houses where if it's a setting, it's firmly controlled. Mm-hmm. 
It's going to be editorially controlled, yes, but editorial controlled in terms of the content, what can and can't be said at a certain time, not necessarily the way in which it's said. I want a wide variety of voices, and I'm not going to be rewriting everybody so they sound like it came out of the same typewriter or off the same computer keyboard. I want people to tell different sorts of stories. And, of course, the flip side of that is what absolutely turns your crank in author X's books, you may read author Y and say, ugh, that's not for me. Okay, you don't have to buy it. It's okay. And so you don't have to buy everything that comes out. Of course, we would desperately love it if you would, but <laughs> but you don't have to. And these, by the same token, they're going to be industry veterans writing these books. You know, people like Richard Lee Byers, people like me, who you've seen their, our, our name on lots and lots of covers. And there are people writing these books. This is their first chance at novel length or their first published fiction. And there's going to be a difference in, in writing styles. And that's all cool. I mean, yes. if, if you, if you, and that's the thing because of the, the serialization. In, in both Amazing Stories and in Our Platters of Surprises, you can try something before you commit to laying down the comparatively small amount of money for a full-length novel. Yes. And everything that we publish at novel length, what we're trying to do is have an introductory short story that will be in the platters and then a little tiny epilogue that comes out after the novel. And both of them are chances for a reader to read and we'll point them at the novel if they want to buy the novel. But it'll be something like, for instance, the introductory short story for uh, – if you were writing a novel for us, okay, mm -hmm. your short story would be about a character who's going to be in the novel but beforehand, an incident in their life beforehand. And it's, it's to whet the reader's appetite and give them a look at your storytelling style that you're going to use in the novel so they can say, I love that, or I'm not sure if that's for me. And in it, but it's a chance to sample everything, and it's all about serving a fan and telling a story together, or or a whole bunch of stories rather than one mega story with a mega plot. There are story arcs in all of our settings. Evil mastermind and genius that I am, I have written <laughs> story arcs that lie behind things so that things are happening. But in the same way that you could write. Any sort of novel set during World War II, from a from a home front murder mystery to a, a little love story in a tiny village, just with the war as news in the background. Or you could write a pulse-pounding action-adventure war story in the air, in the sea, on the land. Or you could write, you know, a spy story, all of them with World War II going on in the background. In the same way, the story arcs will go on in the background, largely, occasionally, in some of the novels, something important will happen in the story arc, and you're right there with a the front row seat. But yeah. there will also be books that are completely different, and there'll be graphic novels, and some of them will be humorous, and some of them will be deadly serious. Um, for instance, we have science fiction settings. We have a hard science fiction setting where everything should be as close to real, up-to-date, real science that we know of. We have a Lost Princesses of Mars setting, which is... Um, and by the way, guys, just, you know, so you know, and, and, um, lost princesses are, princesses are not going to be ladies in bikinis and glass globe helmets in the hardback. <laughs> the 
These lost princesses are spaceships. It's a class of spaceships. Or rather, princesses of Mars spaceships. The lost is the, refers to the fact that they've been off the scene for a long time, and our novels start when somebody starts finding some, and how it shifts the balance of power. And then there's a third science fiction setting, which is slightly different yet again. It's, it's called the Great Galactic Game, and it's all about bored nobles who play this giant game of tag that everybody bets on, in the same way that many people around the world bet on the World Cup of Soccer. You know, uh, and the outcomes that, okay, they bet on who's going to win the game or who's going to go down first or whatever. But the, the game is a game of tag. And although accidents happen because people run and fall off high, high things and so on, it isn't supposed to be a really, really fatal game. And then all of a sudden it starts to be. And that's where our novels start. And that's a, a different science fiction setting yet again, because it's a huge, vast, decadent, stellar empire which is so wealthy and so vast and so um, sophisticated that they've got a ruling class, a large ruling class, that is bored out of its gourd and wants to do stuff like this. <laughs> when I, uh, you know, submitted for the for the NDA and everything, and I got that email from you saying, you know, these are the settings I think that you'd be interested in. Um, one of them was correct, the the sword and sorcery, but then I found the Great Galactic Game, and I really don't do a lot of sci-fi, but that one, it spoke to me. <laughs> yeah, it really did. Yeah, there's all sorts of things there that may catch fire, or you may think, I don't know if I like that, but I do want to look at it. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, so, for for those of you who who um don't know what we're talking about. The Great Galactic Game was that one I talked about earlier. With it. Now, imagine um, P.G. Woodhouse characters or um, Oscar Wilde's characters. You know, the, those, the, the, the silly twits, mm-hmm. the, the, the people with monocles, uh, the people who, who go through life and say, oh, plover's eggs. <laughs> <laughs> the dandies. Hey, this is your chance to fill a book with them and to watch them kill each other. I mean... <laughs> Oh, well, uh, did I say that out loud? Oh, I mean, you can watch funny things happen to them, or you can make things happen to them. I mean, those of you who who enjoy, say, the Monty Python skit, the fish slapping dance, <laughs> this would be a, a marvelous chance to do something of the sort uh-huh. in a science fictional setting, um, and fill half a chapter of a novel with it. <laughs> I don't want you to slap fishes; that's been done. But there are all sorts of things you can slap. Anyway, yeah, see, there's different flavors for everything. And that you may listen to all that and go, ugh, that's not for me, or, oh, bring it on. Well, the person sitting next to you may be excited by something else, like Helma or like one of our other settings. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I can, like I said, I can blather there forever. I can listen yeah. to it forever. <laughs> okay, so you are also writing at least one, if not 12, books in each particular setting, right? Yes, I am crazy. I am writing. Yes, I've been going over that this morning going, I am never going to sleep again. <laughs> well, that leads to two questions I wanted to ask. One is, where on earth did you get the time machine that's going to allow you to do this? Um, I have I... no idea because the I'm also going to be editing everybody's books. And for some of the Helma books, I will be writing little vignettes that go at the end of each book that aren't directly concerned with the main novel. Like, I'm not trying to cap or um, top or ruin 
the, 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 the story you came here to see. It's something else that refers to it that goes on and gives you a little wider glimpse of what's going on amongst demons. So, yeah, I'm going to be very busy. I have no idea when I am going to do such things as, I don't know, um, pay bills, eat, sleep, um, get <laughs> winter tires put on the car, you know, stuff like that, all the daily stuff. But somehow I'm going to find the time, and I'm not doing it alone. I, I, I will have a deputy publisher. I have a very able managing director. Um, we have a cast of thousands of creatives, and we all... All of our creatives, they they understand that they get out of, out of it what they put into it. So the more, more promotion they do, the more fun interaction with fans, the better this is going to work for all of us. Um, I I used to think, you know, when I was young and callow last year, <laughs> that that um, you know a publisher in New York took eighty five percent of of the profits for a book, and in return. They sent you on publicity tours and they got you on Letterman or whatever and they, and on the radio and you had huge signings and they patted you on the back and there was a limo waiting at the airport and they were paying for the plane tickets and it was all great. And then things started to change. They're still taking 85%, but now you get this little press kit telling you how you can self-promote your book out on the internet. Well, yeah, mm-hmm, this is cool. We won't take 85%. But yeah, we would like you to sell your stuff too, because hey, um, none of us are getting paid here at the Edverse, um, and we're all trying to be sort of um, uh, Union Station Crossroads Central for everybody involved, and and with 200 authors running running around writing their stuff, that it, it can get pretty um, hectic in here at times as we as we try and answer people's questions and try not to have two authors use the same character once and one of them kills them or one of them promotes them. Yeah. And that's that's a built-in problem with the, a shared setting. And it's one that we are um, set up to set up to take care of with our superpowers. <laughs> uh, so there's a time machine and superpowers involved. Of I got course. you. Okay. Okay, I got I you. I am 20 feet tall. I have shiny teeth. <laughs> I can't see it, you know. <laughs> no, through no. Through modern magic. <laughs> Magic modern technology, but you know, yes, I am incredibly handsome. Okay, I, I'm, I'm visualizing it right now, and I'm I'm, yeah. I'm I'm drooling a little bit. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, well, yeah. <laughs> um, um, in see to an earlier generation, it was all I dreamed. I just addressed the jury in my maiden form bra. <laughs> I don't read it. Well, maybe I do, but oh, yeah. no, I'm visualizing that. Yeah, yeah. See, see how, see how easily words and storytelling can change things. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, well, one thing I was curious, uh, since you are writing in every single one of these, you know, dozen settings, um, do you have one that's been your favorite to come up with or write in? No, um, they are all, they're all my children. No, uh, actually they aren't. There is, um, there are two settings we have um, under our umbrella that, that aren't by me. Uh, one of them will be starting pretty soon, and those of you who... Um, Back gaming Kickstarters, it it just funded its its gaming Kickstarter. Um, it's it's by a, a company called Twinfire, and it's called Folklore the Affliction, which is a um, quite traditional in theme um, horror um, thingy, which you should check out because um, it'll be starting by the end of this coming year. Like this time next year, it'll be ramping up. Um, but 
I can't really choose favorites. That's like that, you know, which is your, which of your children is the favorite? Me. Yeah, well, yeah, but <laughs> if, you, if that's said in front of all of them and they're all looking at you, how do you answer? And yeah, you see, that's the problem. Um, now from my point of view, um, of the 13, gosh, 13, there you go. Um, of the 13 settings that, that, um, I have forward at the front, there are some that are in my wheelhouse, and that's sort of like Pony Island. Mm-hmm. And then there are some that represent things I've really wanted to do, like Swords and Shadows, Lost Princesses of Mars, um, The Great Galactic Game uh, for Wolf and Empire, which is a sort of steampunk setting, um, at Winter Night Towers. You see, they're all ideas I've come up with. We have a, a setting that is close to... Um, Thulu, if you're interested in, in Lovecraftian stuff, it's called Death and Tentacles. It's different, though. There's a twist to it. We have a, a an erotica setting called In So Deep. Um, and, and yes, uh, In So Deep and the first few books of Helma, I can, I, I should warn people, are probably not for children. Between the, the, there will be violence, there will be sex, there will be, um, hard language or strong language, as, as, the, as my grandparents used to say. Oh, that's not any strong language. Oh, there is language here. Um, and, and that's the thing. It's up to each creative. And yet the folklore setting that I just talked about is PG. Excellent. It's horror, but it's PG. You know, um, it's a setting in which uh, we don't want um, priests to be evil, corrupt, um, two-faced people. You know, we want... We want organized religion to be um, depicted and seen with respect as a, as a force for good. Um, and we don't want necessarily really graphic violence and, oh, and or sex and or hard language. Um, but there are other settings where almost anything goes. Uh, and again, that's up to the creative person helming the story because I don't want to tell their story for, for them. There are times when as publisher I'll step in and say, hey, guess what? We can't quote song lyrics without paying for it, so don't do right. that. For, um, this part of the book reads like an advertisement for this particular real-world product, so why don't we change the name to something fictitious? You know, uh, something like that. But yeah. In terms of what, how they tell the story, um, there are certain um, Novice authors who want to be mentored and had, have expressed a, an interest in, in, in that. And I'm certainly, um, I want to help them if they want to be helped, but neither do I want to step in and try and write the book for them. Um, that is another sort of sin I have seen increasingly, um, amongst editors at some, some publishing houses. Um, the editor is trying to tell the writer how to tell the story and, I always think, okay, if the editor wants to do that, the editor should get their own novel contract and write their own book. Right. And take their hands off mine. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but and so that's another thing. Um, I I want to steer. I don't want to dictate as much as possible. I'm and I, of course I'm hoping that every creative member of the Sasorium coming in understands it's a shared sandbox. Mm-hmm. And one of the things uh, you don't do in the sandbox is break the toys that were there when you got into it. Unless there's been prearrangement. Oh, yeah, you can break that toy. Yes. Um, please do not pee in the pool. We'll <laughs> have to drink this water. You know, oh. uh, that sort of thing. Right. Anybody who wants to look at it, you know, 
wander along to onderlibrum.com, O-N-D-E-R-L-I-B-R-U-M.com, and take a look. Because um, after October 19th, everything except the little secrets that we want to keep just for the authors so as not to ruin the stories, like I was mentioning earlier, mm -hmm. everything will be available for everybody to wander through and see all the settings. And then, you know, if a setting turns your crank and you want to want to take a look at it when we launch that setting, because they're going to be launching in a staggered fashion over the next five years, um, then remember to drop on by. If it, if it isn't something you think you would ever, you know, uh, read the fiction in, but the setting interests you, you can still drop on by every now and then. And if it's something like you think, oh, I could use this in my role-playing campaign, mm -hmm. feel free to swipe it. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast. Or you can email us themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek. <laughs> <laughs>